Hi, I'm Benji Moody, the host of From the Hip, a podcast that explores the world of music in all its glory and stories. For the past nearly 50 years, I've followed my muse from playing in teenage garage bands to working in record stores, music company executive, club and radio DJ, and keen observer of popular culture. I've always enjoyed a close affinity with musicians, you know. Those I've worked with directly and those that I actually know. I regard musicians as a special tribe, a special breed of soul blessed with a talent to inspire and entertain. To me, any musician is special, whether they be a startup player or an established muser. But the ones that intrigue me the most are the drummers. In most cases, they don't get the glory that, say, a lead guitarist or a lead singer gets, but they are the backbeat, the engine room, the bedrock, the ones that keep it together whilst the aforementioned prance and preen on stage. You get drummers with no flash, solid but sedate groove masters like the late Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, Ringo Starr from the Beatles and Jazzman Steve Gadd. <laughs> However, you also have the opposite, wild, explosive, unpredictable players who sometimes double as party animal deluxe like John Bonham, Keith Moon and Ginger Baker, who are the pure essence of rock. And my guest today, he's one of those. I've known Danny DeVette for over 40 years. Record company executive, rock club owner, author, songwriter, tour manager, all-round musician, an immensely talented drummer who likes to call himself lead drummer, played, amongst others, three of the most pivotal and influential rock bands, Evoid, Petitval, and Volleboom. He has a book out, Sex, Drums and Rock and Roll, which in my opinion is one of the most entertaining, hilariously funny and insightful into the South African music scene. A friend, a fellow rock and roll lifestyle survivor, a storyteller of note, a warm from the hip welcome to Danny DeBet. Thank you so much, Benji Moody. I am so honored to be here. And I just want to say right back at you, uh, I have to start off by saying I'm actually a drama, not a drummer. <laughs> okay, people, I started out as a drummer and I ended up being a drama. But as much as I partied and as interesting as my road has been, it pales next to yours, sir, because you are the hub of the, this whole South African scene in many genres. You know, oh, I've, thanks, I've, Dan. I've just that's, done the rock. But that's, really, yeah. that's really cool. I've touched on a few of the things that you've done, and we'll cover those in detail as we go okay. along on the podcast. But I, I wanted to ask you, at what point in your life did you go, I want to be a drummer? So I had a jam with Lucian Windridge, a common friend that we had, and you played in Void. Right. Uh, we both played in Void. Void we have yeah. that in common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At different times. Yeah. And uh, at school, we had this jam in the staff room. Uh, we were auditioning for the talent night at CBC, Boxburg. We did our three songs, and uh, there were a whole lot of parents that were there. It was in the staff room f fetching the kids and that. Uh, they asked us for a few more songs, and the guy that was doing it with us was like a folky guy, and he wasn't really a jammer. He was more of a folk mm. guy. So he was like, no, no, no. And Lucian, who I didn't know at that point, I'd just seen him at school walking around with these Uri Heap albums. I had my status quo albums. And then he said, I'll play with you. And we played Grand Funk inside looking out. I remember okay. it, yeah. And then I said to him, are we going to do the Eric Burden or the Grand Funk Railroad? So we had this mutual respect. He was like, oh, wow, you know both. I said to him, can you play all the lead parts? And Lucian gave me the sneer of like, how dare you ask me? <laughs> and he said, can you play the single beat? And my cousin had just taught me the single beat where you just like all right now you know, yeah. and then your feet do all the fancy stuff so it's quite tricky when you're learning and I'd mastered that and I said of course I can you know 
And Eric was actually playing drums in Lucian's band at that point. Oh, okay. Eric, his brother, right. who's yeah, the keyboard player for sure. me, boys, you see. And Eric couldn't play the single beat. So in the book, I say, I thank my cousin for teaching me the beat, Lucian for suggesting that song, and Eric especially for not being able to play the single beat. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Eric is this uh, sort of multi-instrumentalist and uber-talented, as is his brother. Yeah. Anyway, so we played. And then I got on the bus the next morning, and I don't know how the word spread. If it was parents picking up the kids and talking, because some, some kids would catch the bus in and then the folks would fetch them but when I got on the bus full of convent girls mainly because I'd get on that bus <laughs> and uh, they were all like oh, I heard about your drum solo and I broke a stick and they were like oh I heard you broke a stick it was probably the crappiest drum solo ever but um I just looked and I went, hey, I want to do this for a long time if all these girls are talking to me about it. so yeah I started playing drums to get laid <laughs> Now, we, you and I share a lot of things. We're both from the East Rand. I Absolutely. think you're from Boxburg, are you? Yes, Boxburg. And I'm yeah. from Brackpan. Yes. We're both Catholics. But we both say we come from Benoni, because like Benoni's <laughs> yeah, exactly. a bit more Charlize on comes from there. <laughs> what is it about Catholic boys? We either become priests or we become rock and rockers, roll. Yeah. Rockers, So I thank mean, God we took the, the moral high road and became rockers. <laughs> <laughs> now, you met Lucian at, at CBC, at Christian Brothers yes. College yes. in Boxburg. You've talked a little bit now about how you met him, and you obviously went through the whole early garage band days. Uh, yes. Be, and then formed, I think it was Zenith was, was the band? That was with Lucian. So that yeah. day, he pulled out a scrapbook where he had cut out pictures, and I'm sure you had one as well, Ben, oh, yeah. of all the bands. Yeah. And, you know, there was, yeah, I mean, there were, there were bands like Gravy Train, because we'd buy the, the NME, and he showed me this book, and I was like, wow, I've got the same book, I'll bring it tomorrow. And obviously then, from then, 50 years later, we still... Best friends, you know. So, um, yeah, so Zenith was the band. And we had a, a guy called Neville Holmes. Uh, his uncle was Tony Moore, the famous drummer. Jazz drummer, yeah. Jazz, jazz yeah. drummer. Uh, he ended up working at Downtown Studios. Uh, uh, oh, for, he was African the engineer. Groups. Yeah, yes. Oh, wait, I Do you know with, Neville? I worked with Neville Holmes. Yes. Yeah. That's the same guy. He was, was at EMI as, that's as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I did tracks with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a very interesting guy because he... In Standard 5, he put a disparin into a Coke to see what would happen and drank it. And he just never, ever left anything behind. So he, oh, as really? he, in his recreationals, as he went through life, he, he'd always still have his bottle of cough mixture every day. And, uh, but he functioned. And he, he, and he actually had a, a book that he bought from America called Responsible Drug Abuse. <laughs> so, I never knew he was like that at all. I did he, the no, bu- he was Remember the guy who sang with, with, with Toto, the South African guy? Byron. Yes. He did the Byron record. Did he do all that? Oh, yeah, okay. Did, I yeah. know he was wow. like that. So how did Zenith come together then? Me and Lucian at you school saying we we're going to make a band. Right. Got Eric came in playing bongos and vocals. Neville mm-hmm. was on bass. Right. Well, he was actually on, it was a 12-string Burns guitar that only had four strings on before we could get a proper bass. <laughs> <laughs> this is like all these tuning pegs and only four strings on the guitar, okay. uh, uh, which uh, that guitar is probably worth a lot, a Burns, Burns 12. Sure. So, but then, we, then he got a bass and we went to, we, we played in Yeovil at a coffee bar. Eric was 14. I was 16. Neville was the same age as me, 16. I remember our dads took us there. Max, remember Max Windridge? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and Max had been through, uh, he was in a, a Japanese prison war camp. So he had a very short fuse. I mean, this guy had had a hard life and mm. a lot of kids, also Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my dad had also come up from, uh, he, he was from Malvern. He was like a street fighter guy who made it in business, one of these go-getter guys, you know. And the two dads came. And the funny thing, in those days, there was no Google uh, directions. Mm. And imagine trying to get, 
directions from teenage kids to go to these gigs. <laughs> and they would stop next to the road and actually go, you've got one more chance and I'm driving home. You know, they're both parents. But anyway, that night we get there and there was a motorcycle club called the Johannesburg Roadrunners, okay? And they were all hanging outside this coffee bar in Yeovil. We'd never been there. We'd, we'd only been on the East Rand. We'd never even been into Joburg. And then we get there and we're, these, we're school kids, school holidays, and we're going to play every night. And there was a singer called Maria, Clap Your Hands and Stamp Your Feet. I remember her, yeah. Okay. Right. Her band is there. But they were so uncool. They had these like crimpoline sort of dark brown pants and then light brown shirt with a dark brown crimpoline tie all matching we were like this they sound cool and because of our directions we were supposed to open for her but she had to start and we came afterwards I was intrigued especially like the biker girls Mm. these like sassy women I mean you're a teenager and these girls going hi you know are you in the band already you're scared but you're exhilarated (laughs) at the same time anyway my dad came in to actually watch and see that we were okay because we were going to stay now it was a church and they were going to put us up for the for the week and then I remember they were saying, uh, has your mommy packed your lunch for you? Get like, but, you know, we were kids. And we got on and I remember Lucian looking at me. It's like a moment, the, the two moments that I cherish about that night because we were nervous now. We were out of our depth. Mm. And Lucian looked at me and he said, I'm going to sing the first song because Eric would sing. He just said to Eric, I'm singing the first song. Mm. And he said, Jumping Jack Flash, the Johnny Winter version. Oh, right. <laughs> so he didn't do the whole intro. He just went, bam, no. bam. I was bold. And all these bikers just loved it because these little kids. You know, it was like a phenomenon. Also, Eric's got big balls, okay? <laughs> he was this 14 and a biker, you know, a guy in a bike gang. He's saying, play this song, play that song, play Led Zeppelin. Play. And Eric says to him, hey, this isn't a request show. <laughs> and he's this guy saying, I'm going to beat you over. And Eric's just tuned him, shut up. And, yeah. and owned it. It was there already with the void. We had the drive, we had the... I suppose charisma, we had the right chemistry, you know. So that was Zenith. So yes. that mutated into void. So what, exactly. what, what, what are we talking about? 1980 here? What period? 73, because Eric was 14. Right. He was like in standard seven or standard six in those days. Great. All right. So I'm just trying to work out when I played with Lucian and Void. In between that. In between, the, between Zenith and Void. Yes. You were in, that's when you played. Yeah, that's yes. when yeah, I yeah, played yeah. with yes. them. Yeah. Yes. You joined up. There was you. There was Lucian. There was Eric. There was Aggie. It was actually, no, it was Ozzy. Ozzy oh, Tehran. It was Ozzy Tehran. And Terry and Lucian, Ernie Parker, I think you played with Ernie, or did you play, you played with... uh, Oh, Aiden Carter. Aiden, yeah. Yeah, Aiden Carter, Ozzy, Lucian, and myself. Yeah, okay. While Terry was in the army. Exactly. They they were looking for a drummer, and then Lucian asked me, Mm -hmm. and then Eric and I joined the same time, because Eric was on holiday. So I came and I jammed, and I remember we played Doctor Doctor by UFO. Mm -hmm. Maybe you played that one too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, and a couple of songs like that, and Big Fat Mama uh, by Status Quo, which is is quite a yeah, and it's quite a complicated song because I mean Status Quo's. And this is not at all. No, no, the timing of it was always It was a challenge. I remember we played that too, yeah, with Void. And then, so yeah, so then we played those, and then Eric came in and added the keyboards and the flute. So we used to do Cross Out Mary. Then, can I tell you about the first day I met Robbie Rob? So we had this like prog rock band. We were playing Thin Lizzy, writing our own songs at the same time, but you know, doing one or two only. We get invited to a festival. And we get the, and Robbie was in the band called Shag. I remember with, with Robbie Whitelaw, yeah. With Robbie Whitelaw, yeah. yeah. So we, we get to, it's our first festival. It's like an open air. To us, this is Woodstock. We're coming from the East Rand and we stuck all these people. It was, like a, it was like a dream come true. And I saw this guy with this big red afro 
and he had so much charisma. And he was like, the, they were the cool kids. Right. So he walked up and, hi, and he was pretty friendly. He's like, oh, hi, you know, we're from the East Rand. They were like, mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> they cut our set short, which normally happens at festivals. They're running late and they cut. Uh, we had a half an hour. And, and How Calm the Storm was this challenging prog rock track, which had flutes, acoustic guitars, glockenspiels, and all sorts of stuff in it. And we were also still young when we did that. Played three songs. Half the set was one song, 17 minutes long. <laughs> oh. So we opened up with uh, the Overture Rushes to 2112, that, right. which is very spectacular. Right. And then we did Cross-Eyed Mary. Mm-hmm. Eric was prancing around, jumping, and you know. And then we did this, this song. And we got a standing ovation. And then afterwards, Robbie came up and he went, like reluctantly, as any rock star would do, because you actually f- say you're friends, but when you get up there, you're in competition. you know. And he said, that was well done. We're a boogie band. And I, <laughs> and I had a funny a feeling that something that I don't like in people. I don't like smugness. Mm. That's something that I've, you know. And, but at that moment, I was smug thinking, uh, he's a boogie band. Probably comes from the wrong side of the tracks. We like Genesis because they went to like a, a Lani school in England. And we went to CBC, which is fairly Lani. And meantime, Robbie went to Parktown Boys Park High Boys with Trevor Rabin. Yeah, <laughs> so I dare judge him. So yeah, I found that out later, you know. Now, one of the, one, one of the really funniest part of, of Sex, Drums and Rock and Roll in the book is when you go to Rhodesia. Starting backwards over there, there's you, there's Terry Andalus, also from Brad yes, Band. Yes, exactly. The two Windridge brothers and you. That's and it. then in comes Aggie. No, after no, that. After Aggie. that. After we jumped out of a burning building, that's when Aggie joined us. <laughs> so quick, I'll try and make it quick. We go, okay. we go up there. We couldn't break into the scene because the cover band scene, professional musicians, were bands like Ballyhoo and Circus and mm, these phenomenal bands. Stuff, yeah. But they were phenomenal musicians. And they were established. And all they did was rotate. You'd play three-month contracts or extend it to six months. And so we couldn't break in. So Rhodesia was going through the last throes of the war before the change. Bands didn't want to go up there, so we did. And we had to take a stripper up with us on the first night, give her a lift. <laughs> and my mom was going... No, 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 this is wrong. And my aura was going, yes, 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 this is right. And then we, we played for a lady called Marjorie. She was this uh, Scottish lady from, from Glasgow, like a real, she used to punch the soldiers. And her husband looked like Kenny Rogers and he used to hide behind her. His name was Rory. <laughs> and we did so well that we recorded uh, My Sharona because EMI had a boycott. And it got into the charts. I think it got to number two. I don't think it quite got to number one. But we did a little video. People were queuing outside the club, and that was a turning point when we realized, hey, we could. And I was in my own little mind, was like, wow, it's like the Beatles went to Hamburg, we went to Bulawayo. (laughs) Then uh, what happened was she wanted us there longer, so she pulled a move with our agent. Uh, We got offered a job, uh, a new uh, holiday in in Vereniging on the Vol had opened, and these guys had flown up to see us. And we were young and naive. Now we're 21, okay? Mm. Uh, Lucian had his 21st in that club. As we go to talk to the guys and we're going, okay, can we sign, can we sign the contract now? Because now we're going to be in the circuit. Because it's the, the club owner put us onto your, your exclusive agent. And we were like, no, he's not our exclusive agent. Anyway, why is she getting involved? Anyway, then we couldn't get hold of him. And we eventually we phoned the Holiday Inn. And they went, no, your agent told us that you, uh, you guys don't want to do the gig. Because she wanted to keep us there. So we, we, we walked out in disgust. And we came back to nothing, really. Right. And then, so we were, lucky we had our parents' homes to go to, okay? And then we were playing at the Hyde Park Hotel. And Backstop, we were, we were fans of Backstop with Tim Paul and Larry Amos. Yeah. We still said, hey, Backstop are playing at the Hyde Park Hotel. We must, uh, we're going to go and see them if we don't have a gig because we're getting odd gigs. 
And then suddenly we got offered that gig because Backstop had to play a festival. And then when we came in there, the club owners saw we were this bona fide commercial band. And Backstop, were, they were like Doobie Brothers, yeah, but they played their yeah. own songs, which sure. were great songs. Sure. Okay. But they also didn't have a, a, like four sets. We, had, we, had, we were playing six sets a night in Zimbabwe. You know? So we had material, we had our own songs. And he just told us that Backs again, club owners. Oh, my God, I was one, but I hope I wasn't like these guys. <laughs> told us, no, no, Backstop don't want to come back. So we take the gig, and then Backstop fans come and go, oh, you stole our band's gig, and that's how I met Tim Park. Well, I remember it because, I remember that, because I had signed Backstop at that point, and I remember the gig at the Hyde Park Hotel, where the colony is now. Yes, yes. And so I remember that very, very well. Yeah. So so then you started a residence at that hotel. It was only a couple of weeks, and then it was a Wednesday night, and remember that the South African band Black Rose? The, yes, they, yeah, they, okay. yeah. So I, I, I was, uh, that was my girlfriend, Helen's brother, who's the drummer, Ian, okay? Mm-hmm. So he, uh, uh, he came to see us. He hadn't seen us in Budawaya. And he came down on the Wednesday night and was like, hey, Ian, good to see him again. And I heard people, oh, there was a club underneath. We, the, uh, we were in Sonatas, which was mm-hmm. up. You I went remember, into the hotel yeah. foyer, club was on the right. But below that, the, uh, under that club was a disco. And it was hired out for a private function. And I heard these guys arguing outside because they wouldn't let the regulars in. And these guys, I heard the guys saying, we're, gonna, we're coming back. And they petrol bombed the club. So we were in the hotel sleeping, uh, reading the hit parade about these um, Japanese uh, punks. I was reading an article. And then suddenly I, I was trying to pogo in my dream. And I felt like these Japanese people are holding me down. Meantime, there was smoke in the room. So we jumped out of the first, the first story window in the middle of the night, because I, I opened the door and spoke, guys, we've got to get out of here, smashed the window, jumped out of the first floor, a whole first floor down onto the grass, threw the guitars out, and then we jumped over the wall, and it was like a dream. There was fire engines, and, and all our gear was burnt and everything. Wow. Then we were having breakfast. They brought it some, they made like toasted sandwiches for everyone, like an hour and so, and Lucian looks at me and goes, the guitars. And we're like, oh my God, because now everything else is burnt, and we ran, and Viva Ubuntu, Viva, all our guitars were, were lined up there. This guy was just a good Samaritan who was helping wow. us. Well, there's you know? lots, I mean, there's lots of stories about yeah, that yeah, period. Yeah. That was around about, what, 78, 70, 79? Yeah. At that point, Dallas was huge. So on a Tuesday night, the band at the Ambassador celebration, they also wouldn't play on a Tuesday because they wanted to watch Dallas. So we ended up, <laughs> we had to be the band on a Tuesday night, mm. and it was free for people to come in. Play to 20, 30 people because mm, the whole that. country was watching Dallas. Mm. And I remember that one time a cop came up to me, we were playing a song by the police, and uh, one of the guys said, We're like, Here's a song by the police. And this guy comes up, pulls out his badge, and says, If you guys are going to mock us, I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. And, and anyway, but we diligently wrote down all the settings on the PA and we put it back, being polite to the band. And we used that, we were living very frugally because we were trying to make it without going back to our parents. So we were, mm. so the Hyde Park Hotel still let us play there, but there was no venue to play. They let us stay there. Mm. And then we heard they holding auditions for uh, the Holiday Inn in Cape Town. The band didn't work out there, whatever band. And they're holding it at, on the Tuesday nights at the Ambassador. So there were five bands going to audition. We were right in the middle. But you had no time to sound check. You had to just get on and play because this is how this thing was. It just happened like we heard on the Monday. Tuesday out the auditions. But our angels were looking after us because we had our little book. We just went on, did all the settings. The last two bands after us didn't get on. They just didn't want to even audition. And so we went from sharing six rolls and a cup of some salami and that yeah. for, a, for a day 
two, three meals a day, lying with babes at the, at the hotel. <laughs> and that's the rock and roll industry from like, a, you know. Yeah, so we went to Cape Town and we went to Durban and then we went to um, PE. Mm. Each time we never stayed for three months. We used to stay for nine months. And then yeah. you left the band. I was going to, because I bought Schoolboy by the Asylum Kids, which you brought out. Yeah. And Chris Galakis yeah. produced, I believe, Correct. right? Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, well, look what Robbie's done. He's gone from being a boogie band to this. Right. It's one of my favorite songs. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. Brilliant. And I said to Lucian, in Durban already, I said, Lou, I don't want to get trapped in this thing. Where are we going to? We're going to end up, because you get more, earn more and more money and you buy more gear and you get more in debt. And then when are you going to? Make that break and not because you can end up then never doing original music. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of great musicians and good songwriters have ended up just being never released an album. Yeah, yeah you know, and it's a tragedy, you know. Mm. And I don't blame them, I don't judge them. It's just I didn't want to be caught in that. Mm. So I said, Lou, I'm because I'm a qualified analytical chemist, I'd rather go and work in the lab and have a nice punk band or a nice original band than playing I Am the Beat and mm. like a Rick Ashley song or whatever, you know. And then when we got to PE. I said, okay, that's it, I'm going to go, because nothing was changing. We, we, we'd done the single, and we did one recording with Tali Makali while we were in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And I said, look at this, like 18 months has gone by, and there's not, and then Carl came onto the scene, the, uh, their brother, and he had this whole thing of, uh, I'm going to manage the band and everything. Terry got booted out because he was getting married. And Aggie was just like, it did nothing wrong either. Because I was leaving, I was jamming a lot with Eric during the day because Eric is a monster. He plays mm. all day, all day, and Lucian, but Lucian didn't have to come down. Eric needed his keyboards to play mm. on. And we started jamming, and Danke Luzin Tava was actually called Don't Go Losing That Vibe. <laughs> don't right. go yeah, losing yeah, that vibe. Yeah. There, I, I, I said to Eric, Don't Go Losing That Vibe is very cheesy. Eh? Don't yeah. Go Losing That Vibe. The lyrics, are, you know, as a Bob Dylan fan, no. Sure. <laughs> and then they, they said, Okay, we're going to do this three piece. Aggie and Terry, was so wonderful about it. I mean, I would have been never. They would, on a Thursday night, we play a set as a three-piece, and they would sit and applaud us. Now, I wouldn't do that, Benji. Mm, I don't know no, if you no, would. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it either, it's just no. like my nature. Sure. I would be, no, I'd walk out and I'd come back. They're such wonderful people. Aggie was so cool that he's like, because he came up with, we have to do Soweto New Wave. We'd auditioned for you. You were the guy we knew who was like the furthest down the line. You were a record company executive mm, with power. Mm. <laughs> and he was like, hey, Benji, Benji. And then Benji came and went, guys, you're trying to put prog rock songs into three-minute songs. So you gave us really good advice, Benji. That was a turning point for the band. Right. It was just before Aggie joined that you actually gave us that advice. We played for you without Aggie, okay? okay. Then Aggie came in and he had all these ideas and everything because he was in a band called Jim Slip. I remember Jim Slip. And Mark yeah. Fuller basically... It was George Van Baker was in Yeah, there. but he, they elbowed Aggie out and put PJ Powers in and called it Hotline. Right, okay. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Okay. So Aggie's shown. The wonderful guy that he is, he always, like he was in Jim Slip, it became Hotline. And then he was in Void, it became Air Void. Yeah. And then he was in my uh, electric pedals with me. Right. And then he left of his own accord. Right. And two weeks later, we signed with Polygram. So I always say, Aggie, come and play in my band and then leave because then we're going to be famous. <laughs> so, and we laugh about that, right. you know. When it came to the last night to actually do this, I couldn't. I knew the band's going to be successful, but like stabbing two of my mates in the mm. back kind of thing, I couldn't do it. And that was such a moment. And I end one of the chapters saying, because Lucian was crying, Eric was just sort of shrugged it off and, you know, said, well, okay, well, I'm going to carry on anyway. I mm. don't need Danny, which he didn't, you know. Mm. And I said, I sat there and I looked and I knew that the band would be successful, but I knew I couldn't live with myself. And I knew one day I'd be vindicated. And then in the book, I end the chapter by saying, 
when I wrote that last sentence, that's when I was indicated. Like, so when you look back on it, I mean, you yes. sat on the sidelines and you watched this whole avoid phenomenon yes. happening around yes. the country. And yes. Did you regret that decision? I did have, because I went back and did a final year of chemistry. I wasn't actually qualified yet. I, I had one more year to study. So I took the money that I'd made in the clubs and everything, and I finished my qualification. It was at the end of that. And I remember I was on a holiday after my exams in Plet. Shadows came on the dance floor. And I saw these holiday makers, and I was like, wow. Oh, we'd done a gig. I had a band called The Garage Band before Lofaker with Aggie and Terry, and we'd made like another band. And it was a part-time band. I was studying. They were all working. Play with Dog Detachment, and Steve House's band was called uh, What Colors? Bands right, like that. Okay? Right. And obviously, we were like the police because we could all play so well that we would blow all these bands away. That's how we got our kicks on. Anyway, so we played a gig at the Chelsea. Bonnie Simon had a band called Naked Lunch. And they had a guy in uh, wrapped up as a mummy in the Chelsea. And I remember with a chainsaw and they were like threatening this guy, sawing some stuff. That night before, Garage Band were playing before, but there was a queue. So I, that's when I actually, it hit me. Because Mark Burdett, who was in Flash Harry, he said, look at these people queuing. I said, well, whoever's advertised this has done well, you see. Mm. Funny little thing backstage is I said to Luke, because I was trashing my kit at that point, even like I'd kick it over and you know do my Keith Moon thing. And we were playing on Wayne Harker's kit with, with the band. Mm. And I didn't know that I'm going to come and join the band pretty soon after that, rejoin yeah. them, you know. Yeah. But, I, but anyway, I said to Lucian, I said, it's your sound. So you tap, I've got people in the audience. If you sabotage our sound, I'm trashing the kit. You won't even have a kit to play on. And he was like, you, that's us. I said, no, it's fine. Sue me. I'll pay you. It's fine. So make sure my sound's good. So we, we have this. We like brothers. So yeah. we can, you know. And it's a competitive thing. And we played a great gig. We didn't have hits. We didn't have a record. Mm. And then... When Shadows, Void uh, got on and, and Taxi Man started, and I saw these people and I turned to Mark and I said, that's why everyone's queuing. Yeah. That's, it was nothing to well, do with it. Well, that's when anyone. I knew that it was breaking. So tell me, I'm very interested to know how it happened because I wasn't there and you can actually let me know now. So Bench. what happened was, is, I mean, they came to me and, and played me some stuff. I Did said, Carl yeah, come to you? Or Carl Lucian? came to me okay. and, Carl, and, and then brought Lucian and Eric and we said, fine, we put them in the studio, and, and that was Bikiti Kamala's first gig as a bass player, because he oh, plays on Taximan. Yeah, he plays bass and on you that. can call me Al. Hey, who's yeah, from exactly. Zaman, yeah. They were fully formed at that point. The whole ethno thing was... Yes, was, was, was Nikaza. Yeah. Fadget thing and K yes. and the whole number. Yes. I was going to go with Taximan as a single, and then my staff sent a delegation to me. Are you serious? Yeah, and said... We know you're head of A&R, but we think Shadow should be the single. And Lucian actually phoned me and said, I think Shadows should be the single. How dare you? Yeah, I'm But they were right because it was massive. And when I knew exactly what you were saying now, I remember going to see them at the Chelsea and seeing the queue running all the way down Abel Road. It's crazy. It hasn't happened again. No. No, that, yeah, kind, of, that yeah. kind of hysteria, adulation doesn't happen. Then they asked you because Wayne Harker got arrested. Yes, um, yeah. And you went <laughs> and became an ethno-warrior. For, a, uh, for, a, for the big tour. The, yeah. I mean, we were playing, Benji, we were playing two, it was a campus tour, and mm. we were playing two shows a night. Mm. In Cape Town, we played two different nights, but in Durban and Peter Maritzburg, it was like three and a half thousand people at six o'clock, another three and a half thousand at nine o'clock. And we, we did that, you know? Amazing. And uh, Nick House's brother came on, Andy. He's this crazy cross between a genius and a hobo type guy, you know? Right. Uh, he, Lucian only took two guitars. He had that Spear guitar mm -hmm. and a Strat. On stage, 3,000 people, Lucian breaks the string 
and then he picks up the spear and he breaks another string mm. and we so Eric and I are jamming and Eric he disappears because Andy's got the strats he's putting on the, the string backstage eventually Eric's like playing and we're jamming a bit and Eric puts a, the synth on an arpeggio and he runs back to see what's going on I sang Impy by Johnny Clegg in my mind to myself and then I did the spectacular let the sticks go off and I ran back and Eric and, and Lucian are trying to pull the guitar off Andy because he's like yeah. you can't be unprofessional you can't go on with an untuned guitar and Lucian just give me the guitar I'll talk to the crowd and tune it in one minute and we, I actually had to pry in my hands in between them and push Andy and pull his fingers off and he was, he was cursing us when we went back on the stage that strat came from a rubbish dump at the back of We Are Records. You, I don't say Yeah, it. it was outside the rehearsal studios. It was completely graunched. It was just the body and the neck. Wow. Uh, and that's where that, that Lucian that strap That is an amazing from. story, bitch. So, so the amazing thing about Air Void was that marriage of fashion and great songs. Then, yes. after a gap, you then went and joined another band that had the same thing, fashion and songs. And songs. And, and, and great frontmen. I've, I've been so lucky because John and then Lucian and Eric as a force together. Yeah. And John was... Can I, John Selby, yeah, let's, let's talk about John let's Selby. Yeah. So Cito is another f- phenomenal in Bonneville. Yeah. Okay. So Cito would be going, and we're playing Just a Rebel. He came down, fine. He would like, and then I'd stop the song, walk down and go... Okay, the lyrics are, he came down from the mountain with a pocket full of weed. <laughs> and then I'd give the mic back to him. And because he's Puerto Rican, his mom Puerto Rican, he'd like glare at me. It became part of the stage show. Yeah. And then I'd run back and, and, you know, and Martin would like throw things at me. That was part of the chili peppers kind of thing with, with Vonnebaum. But Salby, I'm playing and he comes running from the back and he rips that shirt off because he had the Lord Byron look. And these buttons are flying. One hits me in the eye and he runs down to the front of the stage and he goes... I don't know what I... But you know what? I just want to stop you and say, this is so amazing to be doing this today, Bench, because this I can't write. I can only tell mm, it, okay? Mm. So thank you. So he runs down to the front of the stage and he goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to be singing now. Singing now. Singing now. And he gets the whole crowd to go, singing now. And he turns back and he goes, what song are we in, guys? <laughs> so that is a brilliant front man. Well, I mean, you're right. Eric and Selby, John Selby, both of those share the same thing, which is attitude. Absolutely. Um, they both have attitude. Yes. Uh, big attitude. As you said, Eric at 14, telling a yeah. biker. No, and <laughs> arrogance. That's what yeah. made them great frontmen. Cito's different because he's a humble guy. Yes, absolutely. He's very humble. Absolutely. But now we get to Petit Cheval. Oh. So Evoid have, have left. They've gone over to England. You went over to England for a while. You came yeah. back. Well, I came back because Kim Savile uh, asked me to come back. So right. tell me how I've, I've never, we've had plenty of yeah. drinks together. Yeah, we we've have. Never, <laughs> it's normally at venues. <laughs> we, yeah. it, we like doing shooters and whatever we're yeah. doing okay but tell me how you signed john i've never heard that okay. from the horses now so kim savile who was working for me at that time said i've seen this band and they're absolutely amazing and i went to go and see them in a club in rocky street and it was chrisel john young yes, Chrysal, yes. john uh harold schenk on oh, keyboards and I think the Francois. drummer's name was Francois. Francois, yes, yeah. and john was playing guitar mm. and i thought yeah okay great and she kept at me saying, we must sign this band. Eventually, you know, my philosophy on A&R has always been to let people have their heads. You can't be the only Rosetta Stone of A&R okay, and yes, sign it. Yes. So I said, you want to sign the band? Do you believe in the band? Yes. And she said, yes. I said, then sign them. Because that's what happened to me in 78 with Backstop, is the then head of A&R, Richard Sassoon, said, 
do you really like this band? Do you love this band? I said, yeah. He said, well, as long as you put everything into it, if it isn't a hit, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Sign it. So I Fantastic. allowed that to happen within. So, you know, we went with the first album, uh, The Voice of Reason. Kim and, no, you did Magical Touch, the single. The, ma- the yes, single first. Yes, yeah. Kim and, and John were involved for a while as well. That's correct. Uh, which complicated things at the office. Okay, so my story was Kim wanted to see me just before I'd gone. I'd been trying to go to England. I'd now qualified. In that time, Lucian phoned me, you need to come. It's on Monday. Uh, we're playing on Wednesday. I had to learn all these songs I didn't know. I was going for job interviews because I was going uh, later in the year to England with, with Mark Boudet. Okay? Right. So I'd set up these interviews and then I knew what's going to happen. So I phoned and I cancelled them. And the one guy said, no, please, I'm going to lose this client. I go on the Monday, I meet Lucian. We start rehearsing straight away right through the night. My brain is so, I mean, learning 20 songs. It's like, oh. The next morning I go for this interview and they're keeping me waiting. I don't want to be there. I'm doing it as a courtesy to the employment agency. And this guy comes in and he sits down and they go, oh, yeah, they're running a bit late. Have another cup of coffee. And I'm like, I just want to get out of here. And I had long hair then. I hadn't cut it in the fadget style. I did that the next day. Right. <laughs> and this guy gives me this whole background about this company, this pharmaceutical company. And he goes, um, if we were uh, to em- employ you, um, you know, the, uh, the directors are very conservative. So it would be on the understanding that you'd cut your hair. Would that be a problem? So I said, you know what, I think everybody wants to say this once in their life, and I didn't know I'd say this early, but you can take this job and you can shove it up your ass. <laughs> and this guy looked at me in an interview, and then I explained to him, look, and he was like, oh, I'm an Evoid fan. Oh, okay. Cut to the end of the tour, I'm at Rao, he brings an album for me to sign, and I had to write on the album, take this job and shove it up. <laughs> that's his dinner party story, so I think that's quite a nice anecdote. It was up in the air with Wayne, and to be honest with you, Carl, as a man, I just didn't trust him. I'll be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't say anything personally that he ever did wrong to me, but I just my gut feel was was just not to not to go that road. Mm. So I didn't make a play to rejoin the band. Right. I was going to England. I, I had this plan with Mark, and I, it was great to do that tour. It was and then phenomenal. Kim, and then Kim, Kim found me and she said, "Come, I've got this band." And I was like, a couple of times before that in the years, I tried to go overseas, and something always happened. And I was like, "No, I'm going to England. I need to go to England." Anyway, I go to England. The next minute, my wife, Marietta, who you've met mm-hmm. as well on the jaws, phones me and she says, there's this amazing concert that's happened, concert in the park. And Danny, you've got to get back here, you know, because there's a movement. Something's mm-hmm. happening here. Mm-hmm. It's, things have changed. Mm-hmm. So, and she, we're missing each other. So I joined a band, actually. Then she phoned and she said, okay, because we were thinking, do I come back, don't I? And she, uh, she said, Kim's phoned me and said, are you sure Danny doesn't want to come back? I've got a, a position for him in Petitjaval. Because Francois was, was a great percussionist, but he didn't quite cut it in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I came back and I auditioned Petitjaval. Because <laughs> 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 I didn't know that they'd been signed. I didn't even know that you were involved then. I, right. t- I got back. It was just, I thought Kim's involved. It's like friends, because Kim's in the scene. You know, I just mm. thought and it was at the Oxford Hotel that I went down. I remember it well. And, and Craig Alst, who's a, probably the best musician I've ever played with in my life. He can play guitar. Great guitar and gu- Yeah, he plays drum rudiments with his picking and mm. like... No, he's brilliant. Scales, raga scales. I mean, he's, he's absolutely genius. He was on drums, and then he, but he wanted to be the guitar player, which the band needed. Right. I mean, and I came, and then I said, okay, I'll, um, I said, I'll think about it. And John's face, I mean, you know John Self, it's just for him to say, okay, yo, you've, we want to play with you. And I was like, okay, let me think about it. And I wasn't even being, I wanted to think about it. I just, I've just got back from London, and it's cool, but I just want to think about it. Mm. And then I, when I phoned John, I said, because Crystal had a gringo moustache, but we were like, uh, 
<laughs> we were neuromantic. Well, we weren't yeah. quite neuromantic. We were going that way. Really. Yeah, you were pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was pretty neuromantic. Yeah, but we had we hadn't done the heavy image yet. That that mm. came that when came I joined. Later, yeah. You see, yeah. So I said, okay. One of the conditions is that uh, the bass player shaves his moustache off. So <laughs> me and Chris to this day, he's like you bastard, you know. <laughs> and when I got into play the first rehearsal. He shaved the moustache. Right. And, and I looked at him and I, was, I said to him, no, I'm not going to play a song until you grow another moustache because like, <laughs> you look better with a moustache and he went F off and count the song in. And that's how I have this beautiful bond with Chris. I remember, I remember the Oxford Hotel gigs, which is sadly not there anymore, yeah. Oxford Hotel. The one that stands out is these electronic pads that on you used chest. to wear on your <laughs> chest. Yeah. And as part of the act... Because I'd hit them, yeah, and I have to be I'd honest. Most of the most of the petitional thing was a huge thing for you as an act. You were always doing something. Yes, yes, yes. But you used to do drum solos on these pads. On your, yeah. On so your Patrick Corbin, who was later my partner at Wings, he yeah. did, he did that. He took old Simmons pads and he put it into uh, actually an SADF army vest <laughs> <laughs> that was under this flamboyant thing. The great thing was at these big shows where I'd hit it and that would echo and pan through the pier and everything. I did it one night at the Chelsea where people are close to you. And I went, tick, tick, and then Sheldon, our keyboard player, and uh, Sheldon Thomas would, would do this little music box thing. And then I'd come on like this little marionette and boom, boom, boom. this one night I went, it was nothing. It's just, <laughs> and I hear these guys, hey, what's that guy trying to do? So I yeah, fell flat on my face. One, but it only happened once. You know? Concert in the park. My crazy thing with Concert in the Park was mm. I played the second one. Now, mm. a lot of people don't even know that there were two. They mm. think it was the one, okay? I joined Peter Well just after Concert in the Park. Right. Craig played drums right. on that, okay? The album came out a few months later, but the picture that we gave was the current one because mm. obviously you're promoting the band. Right. So to this day, Benji, at Bras, people go, you must have been on drugs. You were there. <laughs> and I, I didn't play. No. <laughs> just not me. Well, Your picture's on the record. Well, we couldn't have put the old picture on because there was a fill-in guitarist. No, as well, yes. Uh, the, uh, and with Absol, red hair. There was a keyboard different. And there was Absol Ishmael. So you joined after a second one. And then, of course, Cheval exploded. But the second one was yeah. that we had people with Petit Cheval banners oh, yeah. in the crowd. That was a, a nice... Well, Cheval were massive at that, that, that That was our peak, I think. And you went straight into competition with Air Void. Yes. Do you yeah. remember that? Yes. That yeah. And in fact, there was a tour. Ooh, like and, a hell and of a you tour. talk about it in Sex, Drums and Rock yeah. and Roll. They had come back very politicized. Exactly. And of course, Jonathan, Eric and Jonathan just clashed heavily. And John had done that info song, The Partner with, of Info. Yeah, with Lazy Ray Darling and everything. Yes. So there was all that. That's that, that on the table. Are. So we went on the tour. And it was, that could have broke our friendship up. Mm. The whole Oasis, Blur, Rolling Stones, Beatles. I think the only one that I know in South Africa was Evoid Petit yeah. And I was in both bands. Yeah. So I was all keen. I was arranging the gear for Lucian. And then suddenly this whole thing happened. And we, the tour ne- nearly never happened. But it went ahead. And then, of course, Cheval. The, the second, uh, the mini EP, Perfect Gift. Yes. That fell apart. Well, it was the, the, the song. Once yeah. John, he took the money from the info song and he yeah. went to try to get us a deal overseas. Yeah. John is the only person I'm not in touch with out of mm. all the bands I've played in. I, and, and it's not because anything really happened. It's just when he came back, every second week he wanted to try a new permutation. It's going to be me and him starting a new band, wants to revive the mm. old band. He wants to write songs for a band for me. He, uh, it was just like, and eventually yeah. I said, John, you know, when you've got something really solid, because I, I can't hold on. So I went back to work in the lab. 
And when did, when did you get into the industry? Because, I mean, you worked at Gresham, uh, DGR, yeah, David so Gresham Records. In a quick thing, I, I worked in, in the lab, and then Patrick, who made that vest, right. <laughs> he, he opened wings. And I was unaware there was, there was going to be this wave of bands in the 90s. Springbok yeah. New Girls played Absolutely. their first gig there. Uh, their first Joburg gig. Urban Creep played their first uh, Joburg gig. Uh, Matthew van der Vant played his first gig there, you know? So there was this movement that I didn't know. I just went in, Patrick said, I need someone who's in the music industry to book the bands. And suddenly we had this beautiful five years of amazing was a music. Great club. It yeah. was, it I was mean, the Flames played there. Yeah. <laughs> so then from that, signed to David Gresham. Mm-hmm. And then I was producing an Afrikaans artist. I did a version of. Uh, Mambo number five called Mampur number five. I just made it. I, I was, we were on the road with Vonnebum being wild, getting right. drunk, and singing stupid things. And we were at Sun City, I remember. And I was going, Klein Bicky Linda, where is Like, just as a joke, Klein Bicky Karen for Erfahrung. And then Martin Schofield said to me, You need to go record that. So, Wings, because I, I went to Wings many, many times. Yes. You and famous. you know what, Benji? I want to put this on record. Right. You always pay to see a band. And always I want have. the public to know that. Yeah. that you know, in this industry, someone who's a heavyweight like Benji Moody can basically go where he wants and do what he wants and everyone's going to fawn. And Benji, I admire you for that. No jokes, oh, thanks, serious Danny, daily yeah. statement. Benji, I love you, I salute you, and I respect you, and I speak highly of yeah, you. I, yeah, that was always my philosophy. Yeah, it's because bands fantastic. live on doors, yeah. you know. But going back to Wingspeed, Bob, yes. because, I mean, I signed a band that I saw there called B-World. Yes, I yes. Mean, who were the bands that stood out for you? I mean, it's five years of of original South African music. Who are the artists that stood out for you okay. in that period? Okay, the most obvious one would be Live Jimmy Presley because of all the, the, the angle grinders. Just explain them in a nutshell. What were they like? <laughs> they were like an industrial goth punk band, I suppose. Hey? Yeah. And we had an old man there called uh, Wim Yun, who was the caretaker of the flats. And that's the only time I saw him shaking. So they were very, very in your face. We had the Odyssey Theatre, and they'd often perform at that as well on a Sunday, which was the Wits drama students, but they were out there drama students. And I remember Mian also with his mouth dropped where a guy was reciting a poem wearing only a body stocking, a crotchless body stocking, with a pig's snout over his nose and a Christmas tree decoration of an angel hanging from his penis. And the guys are reading, you know. So Wings was that kind of place. It wasn't a Ken and Barbie hookup place. No. It was a place where actors went and bands hung out, bands mm. got formed, mm. uh, uh, collaborations. It was that kind of a clubhouse for No, bands. it was amazing. I saw B-World there, and I thought oh, we were one of, the, um, one of the best bands of the 90s that came out. Well, Rob Nell, he, um, he actually uh, uh, guested with me in Cape Town. Uh, he was, oh, he did was, he? Yeah, he was doing the sound uh, at Cafe Rue. Yeah. Uh, I did it with David uh, from uh, Lithium. Da- Dave oh, Owens. Da- yeah, yeah. Dave Owens. Yeah, so, but, but anyway, but Rob Nell was the bassist. I had two amazing bass players playing on the Electric Pedals album. Right. Because, as I said, Aggie, Aggie had left. <laughs> right. And uh, it was Victor Masondo and Rob Nell, and they both equally miles. Rob Nell is a phenomenal. So, Electric Petals was after Wings, right? During Wings. During Wings. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, after Petit Cheval, when I went after back to Petit the Petit Cheval, yeah. right. Yeah. And then you got signed to, I think, to Poly- Tutone. Polygram. Polygram. Yeah, yeah. To Polygram. But the, the thing was. Bench, it is so hard when you're doing it part-time to get mm. back to where you were with those. Because I was blessed. It was blessing and a curse to be in two huge bands, thanks to you mm. and your amazing team, Kim Saville, Edith Magnuson, mm. uh, Boogie Gottsman. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I, I don't think there's been a better team in South Africa. Than, was a great, uh, well, I mean, uh, Weir was, was a force. Was, uh, you guys were unbelievable. a force. Yeah, it was a great, it was a real proper music company. But I also, I saw that team like a band. 
Mm. It was like the right players in the right positions. Yeah. And you were the lead vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys were really, really... I mean, I've been dealing with record companies through helping other bands and wings I had a lot to do with bands and I, I you know like I always say when the when the cowbell player from Earth Wind and Fire left from the, the that, that that unit of right. 13 people that made right. that band then you can trace where the band went downhill <laughs> so you when you have the right people, people and that's what, sure. you, you, what you what you had there with the petals I mean Polynation came out the album mm. Polynation came out and yes. it did, did well I mean yes. the petals had a great name as a, as a band who was in that band with you was Aggie just before he left yeah. and then AJ Lotter great singer AJ right. Gus Rose Angus Rose I mean he had the name of a rock star right. Angus, Angus yeah. Rose Gus is now playing with Maggie Bell uh, for years Maggie Bell from Stone the Crows that's really? right yeah. so okay. he's in Scotland's best blues band like they are okay. acknowledged so um, he's been jamming with like well I think B.B. King's past now hey, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but Gus got to jam with people like well B.B. King and wow. others cool. because they, they back up all these other artists in, in Europe on these blues tours Gus could play a Hammond organ with one hand and a guitar on feedback like he played two solos at once right. he's just a genius you know so that was a strong band very strong and band. then Along the way, you connected with another band called Eight-Legged Groove Machine. At Wings. So At Wings. Tell me about okay. that. So Martin and Wade and Cito were hanging around. We booked them as Eight-Legged, but they'd hang around the club all the time. Right. And I was the Vonda, and those three guys were the Boom. It was the best <laughs> midlife crisis I could ever have, Ben. God gave me two wonderful things, my son Luca and Vonda Boom. Okay? Right. Because <laughs> I was in my 40s, and I was with a band, the wildest band I've ever been in. Yeah, they we were in their wild. late 20s. Yeah. They came and they all, all stoned and they're walking around, hanging around the office all night and I'm busy working, I'm telling stories, shooting the breeze. And then they said, oh, Danny, we want to ask you something. Because their drummer, Damien Potter, he went uh, on one tour and you know, some people just can't live that life because mm. it's rough. When you, mm. Especially if you're at the bottom echelon, yeah. you're sharing, like you're in backpackers and some people d- just don't like that. And mm. Damien was like, he, he couldn't do it. He's like, I can't have people, drunk people falling over me when I'm trying to sleep and blah, blah, blah. I love that. <laughs> to me, <laughs> it's like a, I don't know, I feel like I'm in a circus. So you either cut out for it or not. So yeah. he did one tour and he said no. So they said, would you join the band? And I was like, guys, you in a garage. I'm signed to Polygram. I'm number two on 5FM yeah. with Sister Love. How can you ask me this? Because I'd love to play with you. I'd love mm. to. If there's any band I want to join, it's you guys. I love them as people. I love mm. them as a band. Uh, and I'm, they were great performers. You know, yeah. I was like, when it gets to the pressures, as you start getting successful, some people realize it's not really what they want. Mm. The, AJ's like, oh, I just want to make music and write songs. and I don't want all this other stuff, meetings and uh, image consultants and, and the, you know the, the, the whole thing we had the Simple Minds tour so that was the time that Simple Minds closed for the electric pedals <laughs> 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 and so I thought okay we're going to have to launch the new band in a new way so we actually did that tour as Electric Pedal Groove Machine put okay. the names but just for that tour because so AJ left and and, 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 and now we got yeah so, we, so it was me and Gus right and because we were three piece then okay? Right, okay so we needed a bass player AJ sang and played bass right. so we got Wade who's a phenomenal bass player Great bass. and then we got Cito so right. we got two people to kind of do what AJ was doing right. and we got a second guitarist right but Gus didn't fit in just the style and everything Gus is a 
he's a blues yeah. a blues Hammond player and that's not the road that the young guys wanted to go yeah. down so we did a little bit of gigs we did the tour and a few gigs like that and then we settled into the four of you and so I always told that we so that the name of the we're going to name the band right but these three guys have a veto because it's me and Gus and there's three of them we only right. two so I, re- I corrected that because Pat was our manager I said no Pat's going to have the final thing to even it up and this illustrates why Gus didn't fit in okay Pat being the efficient manager he said I'm going to stay out of it you guys do it and then call me afterwards so he put up this big flipboard in the kitchen at Wings it was a great atmosphere and we had a band meeting there in amongst all the provisions and everything and I wrote down the names and Gus came up with the name Credo which just sucks I mean even for a corporate band I wouldn't call it Credo <laughs> so he just wasn't literally on this as I wrote it down I said he wasn't on the same page yeah. he just wasn't you know three other guys came in Cito, Martin and, and Wade and said we've got the name doesn't matter because we're going to outvote you and that's what I said no Pat's got this and uh, eventually I said okay let's hear this name that you guys want and they said okay you ready we're going to call the band The Broken High Men <laughs> The broken high men. And I was like, are you out of your minds? And I, the way I put it in the book was nothing in all my years of rock and roll prepared me. For, and then I just knew, okay, now I'm on a wild ride. <laughs> so then it became Vonnebrum. And again, you're now in the third band. Yeah. With cool. great singers. You know, Peter Cohen says this to me. Peter Cohen's a great dr- South African yeah, drummer. Yeah. And we have our little, sm- I said I hate smugness, but me and Peter, have, we do have our little smug moment. Right. And I always, we say to each other, we know how to pick them. Because mm. my, my, my it's impressive if Void, Petit Cheval and Vonnebum. But I mean, he's got bright blue, bright blue mango, mango groove, groove and freshly and, ground. And freshly so, ground I mean, yeah. so and recently, Avoid. Avoid, it's full circle. It's Where full it's circle. all connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Vonnebum were known as a wild band. I mean, and they were. You were wild at that particular point as well. I had to leave after 13 years, and I'll tell you why. I yeah. developed my own little show within a show, right. and it's hard, that's hard for any lead vocalist when the drummer's trying to outperform you all the time. I have to put on record that we are close. We'll always be close. We're brothers. So, but because we were like siblings, we, it, I, I, I did pranks and pranks and pranks. And in the beginning, the first sort of six years, they were encouraging me and, and, and making me be this little brat, even worse. Because, I mean, they, uh, Martin and, and Cedar particularly were wild. I mean, yes. I mean they, would, they, they would have competitions with girls and exactly. choosing girls. Yeah. And, and, and they all smoked copious amounts of weed. Before I traveled around for 13 years with that band in a, in a vehicle, inhaling secondhand dacha smoke, I could finish my sentences. But now... You couldn't, <laughs> and you can't after 13 end, years. <laughs> end of interview. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, so that was a wonderful ride. Um, and just, oh man, it stuck the band. Do you know uh, the, the Bob Dylan song, Lily, Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack mm, of Hearts? Mm, yeah. So that feeling of like the Jack of Hearts leaving town, having robbed the bank and shagged the girls and having that camaraderie of those outlaws riding out. That to me is the spirit of rock and roll. That's right, like what a band absolutely. should be. That's what the Clash were. Outlaws. That's what even yeah, and uh, the Stones. That whole thing, and I have to be honest. Out of all the bands that I played in, Void had a bit of it because we were trying so hard, and we were all those years together. I mean, it was years, six, yeah. seven years. But uh, Vonnebum was for me the real rock and roll oh, band yeah. of brothers. Who sort of us against you, the world and the system and winning. You know, like yeah, and recording great records along the yeah. way. 
the Rewind album? So that album was originally going to be called Lucky Duvet because we were under Duvet. <laughs> and then just, no, but record company politics because we distributed through Gallo. Right. And the, uh, the people, the suits didn't want to offend the other suits. That's you know? a great story. So, Lucky so, Duvet. <laughs> so inside, if you look on the, on the Rewind, if you look on the actual CD, it says this album is not called Lucky Duvet. So I snuck it in. There's a couple of other ones. Um, on the Tell Someone Who Cares album, it's mm-hmm. got a, a see-through spine uh, on, in the CD box. So if you if you look, there's a number, and if you dial that number, you get through to the Betty, Betty Ford uh, Clinic in America. So the volume is full of all these little like mm. it was fun, it was fun. But they've calmed down now. That's what happened after yeah. the first sort of six years, seven years. They were encouraging me. Then right. they grew up. And I just got worse. And then, no, then Cena wanted to do, he's like, he's into bands like Radiohead. And, mm. and he would want to, you know, and then Martin would have these like heart to hearts with me going, Dan, because we did an, a wonderful version, I think, of, of Johnny Clegg's Africa. Yeah. And he liked it. He mm. told me, mm. he, you know, he had a twinkle in his eye when he said, the more, the more royalties come, the more I like it. Yeah. Like Bob Dylan said to Axel Rose, <laughs> same right. kind of thing. But he then said, no, you did an amazing, like a glam rock version of mm. it, you know. So Martin would say to me, Dan, we're under an African sky at a festival. Cito's trying to create a moment. Oh, then he walked through the of our land. Can anybody hear me? This is hot. and then you doing Johnny Clegg's steps, and you dropped your trousers, and you mooned the crowd, and you set the drum kit on fire. It's just like you can't do, you know. So it, uh, eventually, it ran its course because. Um, and, and then, yeah, it got to a head where we did an unplugged show. We started doing unplugged shows and went down. And I'm, I can tell stories, you sure. see. So, so that gave me even more. Like, I was too much. I was hardly spending any time on the drum kit. And anyway, we did one at Cresta. I, I said, give me 10 minutes to do like a little spiel. Then I can hold back a bit more in the show. And of course, being the exaggeratorian that I am, I took 27 minutes and that was it. I said, you can find yourself another vocalist, I'm leaving. And then Martin said, you can find another guitarist, I'm leaving. Then Wade was like, hey, no, we're family. I gave them a letter of resignation saying, because see that said in that thing, and don't uh, even come with apologies. I'm at the end of the line now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. tonight you, you took it too far. And I did. Well, that's what he says in the book, doesn't he? In, yes. in one of the things that... Why do you always take things too far? Too, too far. Yeah. So I was to blame for that, uh, you mm. know? But then in the thing, I suggested Garth McLeod because Garth played at my wedding and I actually met Garth before them years ago. He was in a band called Halter Skelter and they did... Uh, remember Bonnie had that Flying Circus album? Yes, yeah. Did, was that through we are? No, well? no, no, no. I wonder who that was. It was through Conto. I suggested Goth, and then tragically, Goth uh, passed away. That was, yeah, terrible. was terrible. And then Jono was. I did a, a, like an album that I used as a business card called uh, Daniel, My Brother. Mm. And I, I did I, for the launch. I got Wade played bass, and Jono played the drums, and then he joined Vaudeville. So I kind of had a hand in. You don't actually audition for one of them. It's a family. You right. get invited. Right. It's like the mafia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you so you, then you left one of them. And, yes. And yeah. then what was the next step? Politons. Raphael was our agent, uh, Raphael Dominic. Mm-hmm. His company, Sovereign, were an amazing company to work for. Yeah. And it was so exciting because they owned the Power Zone website, which Barney they, was tied into. So we had the first chat group. We controlled. Raph had, he had uh, Prime Circle, Parlotones, Vonneboom, Perez, One Sock Thief, Black Hotels. Just before that, Authentic had all the bands, Authentic right. Ideas, Nancy, who that, was very yeah. delightful for Vonneboom. Yeah. So they, they had like um, Tweak, uh, Sugar Drive, Amersham, Vonneboom, Cutting Jade. That's how I could write this book because all these bands have intersected with me. And Cutting Jade was also signed to Gresham and everything. Yeah, so I ended up at Sovereign. That ride with the Polytones 
where we ended up filling the dome. Mm. Was, I remember it. Yeah, that was such a wow. They know, were but huge. The, but the, I mean, I love Polytone's songs, but I wouldn't really run out and buy Polytone's album. While I was at Gresham, I promoted Nickelback, and I would never buy a Nickelback album. No. So the two biggest acts that I've, I mean, I've got like platinum discs from Polytone's and from Nickelback, but it's, bad, it's, it's two albums that I would never go and buy myself. You've done tribute shows. You did. Uh, I did the gothic show. Like, you did. Yeah. Hey, 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 now, now hey, 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 now, hey, now, hey, now, hey, now, hey, now. Yes, yeah. So you've done that. All of a sudden, sex, drums, and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. When I heard about it, the book, because you know, yeah. I've been trying to write a book for 20 years. It's, it's I, hard to get it done, because I've been hard. talking about it also for like 10 years before I did well, it. I think yeah. you've got to talk about it. So I thought, let me read your book and see what your take was on it. Yes. And, and I mean, I honestly mean when I say it, I've read hundreds of books on rock music, and it truly is in my top 10. That's amazing. Biography. That's amazing. Thank it's, you, Vince. It's, That's it. It, it captures the essence of, a, of bands on the road, bands forming together, bands staying in the same room, everything, all of the drama that goes on, <laughs> yeah. all of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it's also funny, bloody funny. Yeah, thank you. You know, which is great. And so, and, and, and what I'll say on the podcast, anybody who wants to know about South African music, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, get sex, drums, and yeah. rock and roll. If you're battling to find it near you, uh, hit me up on Facebook, Danny DeVette, you'll see my picture there, and then just send me a message, and I'll, I'll arrange it. I mean, you've done so much. I mean, we haven't even touched. We could probably do two or three of these. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah. Without, I'll come without back later, down the, line, back. You, yeah, down, yeah. down the line. Come back, down the line. I want to ask you as a drummer, um, a lead drummer, yeah. or a lead drama, as you yeah. call it, showmanship versus musicianship. Stuart Copeland. Because he's the one guy who was flamboyant, did yeah, very double paradiddles on a song yeah. that went to number one yeah. on the charts, is a mofo drummer, brilliant, mm. Mm. and he's a punk at heart. And I've got to just say, Keith Moon was the ultimate showman drummer, right. Keith Moon. Yeah. But he, one song, he was the best drummer in the world, and the next song, he's the worst drummer in the world. And he, he got worse like, as he went, yeah. as, as, he, as he became more and more involved with alcohol. When people say, who influenced you as a drummer? I always say John McEnroe and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so, okay. And it kind of explains it, okay? Neil Peart and all the guys, okay, Steve Gadd, you know, the all, all the guys. guys. Okay, yeah, so they're there. Bonham is just a phenomenon. It's like you get... Leonard Cohen, Neil Young, blah, blah, blah. And then you got Bob Dylan. Bob mm. Dylan's just a phenomenon. Then you get, so Bonham is a phenomenon. You, he's on his own chart. There's no, mm. Steve Verone was the other one. So Bonham had his, the Bonham thing. And Steve Verone was like the groove. The chops. The, yeah, the, the chops and the, and the feel. And he's such an amazing person. The state of rock music these days, the bands out there, it's entirely different to the 80s and the 90s. I mean, I don't see the same camaraderie. I don't see... You mean same, in South Africa? Or no, just generally. Yeah. I, I don't it's see only the, the same... the Foo Fighters that are like flying a flag of yeah. collaborations. But I mean, or, yeah. I don't see emphasis on songwriting. I don't see emphasis on... Well, it takes on, 16 people to write, hey, baby, I had lunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the new Beyonce single, it's eight. Do you think rock's done its thing? Do you think that there's, there's no scope to take the genre further I mean you've had punk rock you've had metal you've had got yeah. you've had alternative is there any space out there I hope so is my answer to you I hope so but uh, but sadly I'm not seeing I anything I don't want to sound like an old codger that goes <laughs> on in my day I just don't it's I think you know Benj when we were went to school I'm getting emotional now the record that you carried into the playground defined you mm. if you had 
nectar or amandul or something like that or the pink fairies and someone said oh don't you mean pink floyd and you judged them because you were like this trendy whatever and you you and me are the same like it mm. we, we, we were always discovering the new and going into the thing today with social media and the internet and that, the, the music doesn't define people anymore because that, it's so yeah instant yeah and disposable and it doesn't matter re- you can listen to all sorts of uh, I had a show called Father and Son on Mix FM with, with Luca right. and he would play me new songs it was a great concept and I'd play him old school stuff Right. but he's, he's been grown up since he was small with music as you can read in the book okay? sure. and there was a rapper who did who used um, Jamaica by Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. oh, oh 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 and then he rapped and I was like oh so Luca played me this I was like wait I can't wait to play the, the original and we got home and I played him the original and he was like, oh, dad, this is boring. I prefer the rapper. It was like a knife in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you've got to accept that it's not our time and music doesn't define you now. Although, I mean, uh, you know, running a vinyl store, I see the yes. amount of young people coming in buying classic stuff. Yes. Buying The Who, buying Zeppelin, yes. buying Doors. You know, That's a great uh, thing. Buying Hendrix. Thank God think. their parents had good taste. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Sex, drums, and rock and roll. You can get it. Go to Danny DeVette on Facebook. You can order it over there. Hopefully, there'll be an audio version of this at some yeah, point. Yeah, that'll be an amazing idea. So Thanks for that, Ben, and you facilitating that. So thank you once more. Danny DeVette, what a pleasure, my friend. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Thanks for being part of your from that. You are a legend. I love you from the bottom of my heart. You have done so much for so many musicians, yeah? You are a musician, so you have the empathy. But you've always had great taste and you pay to see musicians. And I love you for that. Thank you, Danny. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.